Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. We're in week three of Advent and we're on this journey in Advent, which is a word that comes out of the Latin Adventus, which means arrival. And as followers of Jesus, we want to be intentional about reflecting on the gifts God brought us through coming into human flesh in preparation for the celebration of Christmas. And so each week we've been looking at different things. Last week we looked at peace, the peace that Jesus brings. And we spoke about the fact that Peace is in a person, not possessions or places. We spoke about this psychological issue of destination addiction where people go, when I'm there, it will be okay. Or when I have that, or God, when you give me this, then I'll have, that, have peace. And we spoke about the fact that the power of God's peace is now, not tomorrow. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow for it will worry about itself. And we spoke about the fact that we need to stop pursuing possessions or getting to other places in order to assume we will have peace because it's now in the person of Jesus. And then we also spoke about the fact that when Jesus refers to his peace, it's a peace which he describes as transcending human understanding. He says, then the peace that transcends human understanding will guard your minds and hearts. If the peace we embrace from Christ cannot be reasoned with the mind, what makes us think we can embrace it with human understanding? It's far greater. And so we pressed into that uh, a little bit and we spoke about the fact that at the core of the peace God gives us, it's in the person of Jesus, not the places or possessions we can attain. And this week I want to talk about love, love. We all have different ideas about love. Okay, some of us hear songs, although we've got, come on. To the end of the road, baby. You know, we, like, what is love to you? There's romantic love. There's brotherly love. There's emotional love. There's physical love. But the fullness of love that I want us to explore today is what I've called God's great love. The reason I've uh, entitled it that is because I was inspired by the words written in the New Testament book of Ephesians 2 verse 4 that tells us, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved because of his great love. That's how it begins. So all the issues about how screwed up we are come after that because it starts with God's great love for us. And you're going to see just now why it's important that it's in that order with love being first. Because our general understanding of love tends to say, I love you because I need you. You make me whole. You're my soulmate. It's a lie. But that's for another sermon. If you're a sinner... You're not someone's soulmate. Um, But we generally understand love this way. We tend to see love saying, I love you because I need you. But God's great love says, I need you because I love you. For God, it starts with love. This love is so beyond our natural understanding that Paul, the apostle, writes to the church in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 18 saying, may you actually have the power to understand 
as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Then Paul says this, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you'll be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul prays that we would experience the love of Christ that's too great to understand through mere head knowledge. You see, in your life, you're not showing God's great love to others by using your theology to inform them. You show them God's great love by allowing them to experience it through your life, regardless of their beliefs and brokenness. That's why Paul prays that you would experience his love, not be informed about it through your theological understanding. Think about it. Not all of us, but for many, you, at some point in your life, had a revelation of God's love for you through his living word. And our lives may be the only Bible someone else ever reads. So when it comes to love, we can ask the question, what is your love toward others revealing to them about Jesus? Because it's not how well you can inform them with theology. It's about how they experience God's love through your life. Is your love toward others about giving them information or allowing them to experience in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 3 that we referred to just a moment again, I, I used the New Living Translation, but the New International Version describes it slightly differently. When understanding the love of God cannot be intellectual, it has to be internal because we cannot fully understand it through information. We need to experience it. And it says, as Paul said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, deep the love of Christ is. And then they describe it this way in comparison to the NLT. They say, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. See, this love surpasses knowledge. So if you want to show someone the love of God, you can't inform them. You need to allow them to experience. See, God's great love is to be experienced because it surpasses the knowledge which mere information is able to communicate. Paul the Apostle therefore writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 too, saying, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's great secret plans and possessed all knowledge knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, whew, this sounds like a spiritual person, doesn't it? I'm like, Hish, they do all these powerful things. If I had all that, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. I would be nothing. Because the love of God can't be embraced through knowledge and information. It has to be experienced. And the weird thing is that even though we are told here having all these great spiritual abilities yet not loving is, comes to nothing, even though we understand that sometimes we get that wrong because our love for others is given more easily to people like us. 
to people that Paul described in 1 Corinthians 13. People that prophesy. Woo, hallelujah. People that live pure lives. You know, if I have all knowledge of scripture, people that display strong faith. And it's easy to love them if they're like us. They're all spiritual and they got it together for Jesus. That's easy. But if they're too broken or if they seem too comfortable with their sin, or if they reject the spiritual truth we know, it often leads or leaves us loving them as a last resort. Because first we need to sort out their sin. You're not like me. Like, no, you, you have to be Christian. You're like anti-Christian. Don't come here. You need to convert. You need to, you need to live a pure life. And you need to display spiritually strong faith. Yet if I can even prophesy and have all knowledge, yet do not love, Paul says, I'm nothing. You see, the order of our engagements with others should always start with love. See, because of God's great love, not because I was a screwed up sinner or because I'm a spiritual person living a pure life. That came second. The order started with God's great love. In 1 John chapter 4, 19, it says, we love each other because he first loved us. Love comes first. In fact, Jesus was criticized by the Pharisees because he loved sinners first instead of starting with the correction of their sin. Now, I'm not saying sin shouldn't be addressed, please. But the order of God's work in our lives begins with love, which leads to repentance, not the law. And this is why Paul once again writes this time to the church in Rome from the book of Romans chapter 2 verse 4 and says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's God's kindness, tolerance, and patience that turns us from our sin. And in the same way, we now are filled with the Holy Spirit and read about what the work of the Holy Spirit does in us when we respond to others, when it says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit in you is just like God, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. So how peaceful are we toward those we want to protest against? Christians fighting for their rights. You don't have to defend a lion, just open the cage. Or how kind are we toward those our theology tempts us to correct without first loving them in patient empathy and understanding? In the words of the famous Christian writer and theologian Thomas Merton, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they're worthy. And this is why God's great love will ruin your reputation with religious people. 
God's great love will ruin your reputation with religious people. In just the same way, Jesus ruined his reputation with the religious Pharisees of the time. Pharisee in the Greek means separated one. Whoo! Hallelujah, I'm separated for the Lord, brother. Oh, I don't do that. That's too secular, my brother. Oh, I'm trying to be pure for the Lord. Well, if I can prophesy and have all the knowledge, but I do not love. See, the Pharisee in the Greek means separated one. In the time of Jesus, Pharisees were one of the Jewish sects that were the most separated from the ways of the foreign influences that were invading Judaism and from the ways of the common Jewish people in the land. They were known as holy men who kept the law. They pursued purity with a passion and wanted nothing more than to live lives that pleased God. Sounds really good. But if I have all the knowledge, if I can prophesy, if I have a faith that moves mountains, but I do not have one thing, The Pharisees were sincere, albeit sincerely misguided. In other words, their lack of relationship with God was hidden within their perfection of religious rules, which they thought Jesus had failed to meet. In describing the Pharisee, one author and preacher said, Satan's masterpiece is the Pharisee, not the prostitute. And theologian John Stott speaks about how Jesus offended the religious Pharisees in his book, The Cross of Christ, when he wrote, Jesus had upset the Jewish establishment from the outset of his public ministry. To begin with, he was an irregular. Though he posed as a rabbi, he had not entered by the correct door, climbed up the right ladder. He had no credentials, no proper authorization. Next, he had courted controversy by his provocative behavior, fraternizing with disreputable people, feasting instead of fasting, and profaning the Sabbath by healing people on it. Not content with disregarding the traditions of the elders, he had actually rejected them wholesale and criticized the Pharisees for exalting tradition above scripture. He, he said they care more for regulations than for persons, more for ceremonial cleansing than for moral purity, more for laws than for love. And as followers of Jesus, love comes before the law. As followers of Jesus, love comes before the law. Therefore, love like Jesus and spend enough time with sinners to ruin your reputation with religious people. You may be accused of watering down your convictions in order to be relevant to culture. No, 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 don't make this a theology. It's my approach you don't like. Because like Jesus... I choose to love before demanding the law. You may be misunderstood as a rebel, but anytime you love like Jesus, you will never be able to maintain your reputation with the religious. Jesus' response to the Pharisees is documented in the pages of history. 
In Luke chapter 11, verse 37, when it says, As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, you Pharisee are so careful, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you'll be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe. This isn't a message on tithing, but I'm just throwing it out there. In the New Testament, Jesus says tithe. Okay, let's go on. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. See, the Pharisees started with perfection and correction of laws instead of love. And then Jesus continues, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? For you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you? For you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they're stepping on. Teachers, said an expert in religious law, you have insulted us too in what you've just said. See, these men were highly qualified in biblical knowledge about God's love, but for Jesus, it was more important to live the revelation of that love through their lives. Yes, said Jesus. What sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands. Religious demands. You need to get right, boo. That's not of the Lord, my boo. I'm Christian and you, my... I understand we, we, we're not saying we overlook sin. Just bear in mind that the order of the way God works starts with a love that leads us to repentance. Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, there's a problem, guys, because you can't love a sinner without demanding they deal with their sin first. When it was never about sin first. It was about the love of a savior because by his great love, Jesus died for us even when we were sinners. The last thing in his mind is our sin. The first thing in his mind is our hearts. It always starts with love. See, when Jesus describes his true followers, not just those with their doctorates in theology. He says, by this will everyone know that you are my follower. By this. By this one thing they will know. By rebuking sinners and telling them to run from hell's flames. No. It's, he, he says, by this will people know that you're my follower. By how pure your life is as a testimony of my goodness. No! Okay. By this will everyone know that you're a follower of Jesus. You're fixed all the time and perfect and you don't struggle with depression. What a testimony. No! By your righteousness will people know that you are my disciples. No. 
He says, in contrast to the approach of the Pharisees in John chapter 13, 35, by this will people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. You see, we won't reveal Jesus to the world through our perfection of the law, but by God's great love lived through us experienced, not informed, because your mind can never grapple and fully comprehend the love of God. And then maybe you're sitting here going, yeah, Grant, well, like, that's a lot of pressure to go and love like that. Here's the crazy thing. That's the way God loves you. While you sit here, struggling to walk in the doors because you know how screwed up you are. When you come in here to try and fix all your screw-ups because you're such a sinner, sitting somewhere, fearing God or feeling too bad or unworthy, he's not starting with your need to perfect the law. He's starting with love. And maybe what makes it so hard for us to love people this way is because we struggle to accept it for ourselves. As I land, I leave you with the words of the well-known Christian author, speaker, and pastor, John Ortberg. He said, some people would rather debate doctrine or beliefs or tradition or interpretation than actually do what Jesus said. It's not rocket science. Just go do it. Practice loving a difficult person. Or try forgiving someone. Give away some money. Tell someone thank you. Encourage a friend. Bless an enemy. Say I'm sorry. Worship God. You already know more than you need to know. As we enter the Christmas season, could we ask ourselves this question? What is my love toward others revealing to them about Jesus? What is my love toward others revealing to them about Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we've just reflected on how the love we give to others should make us lose our reputation with the religious. Father God, we've just been challenged by the idea that the way we engage with people doesn't start with sorting out their sin, but loving them regardless. Father, we've just reflected on the fact that it is the power of your love that leads us to a changed life. Yet I'm aware that in this room today, so many of us struggle ourselves to accept that love because we feel we've failed at upholding the law. We know where we've sinned. And instead of allowing our journey with you to start because of your great love. 
we've thought we had to earn it through getting the law right. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enter the minds and hearts of every person in this place that has struggled to allow you to love them because of the shame and guilt of feeling they failed or totally messed up when it came to the idea of the law. Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open our hearts to your reckless love for us and that you would work in us so that we can begin to live that out so others can experience it instead of us striving to inform them enough to believe. I pray your peace upon us. I pray for every person that's looking for a turnaround moment in their personal lives. I thank you that the turnaround moments are when you meet us in the middle of our mess. Not in the other side of religious perfection. I pray that you would meet with the people in this place that have felt their mess disqualified them when in fact it's the starting point of the way you work, bringing the prodigal home from the muddy pigsty. Holy Spirit, would you fill the hearts and minds of people sitting in what they feel like is a mess. Would you lead them back home to those open arms of a father who cast aside the need to correct his son and instead loved him.